This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, with hosts Jesse Dollamore and Brittany Page, a podcast dedicated to free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, but most importantly, a good time. Right. January 14th, 2015. This is episode 89 of your favorite I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, your happy, happy host, guiding you through, sitting across from the lovely, vivacious, and ready to perform Brittany Page. I don't know about ready to perform, but I'm here. <laughs> That that is uh, adequate. Thank you. Okay, that's good. I'm okay with adequate. That's good. Mm-hmm. You know what's not adequate? Mm. Thanks for setting me up there. What is not adequate are egg prices at this juncture, at this my is a pet peeve that people say, but this point in time. Why is that a pet peeve? When a reporter is talking on the news or whatever, and they say this point in time, they don't need the in time. We know at this point. We know what you mean. Well, maybe they have to fill time. We do that. But it's... So in time, that that's, gives them enough stall time? Uh, Depends on how long they say it. <laughs> well, you know, Anderson Cooper, at this point in time... Yep, exactly like that. That's yeah. plenty of space that I've, they just took up. I've never heard someone do that. Maybe I'm just not listening enough. Yeah, I've never heard it either. <laughs> Anyway, beyond my pet peeves, the other thing that is pet peeves, see, look at that, just transitioning from one to the next, um, egg prices right now, they are ridiculous. Have you noticed? Yes, it's about three ninety nine for a dozen eggs. Yeah, I was in, uh, I was in Trader Joe's, I know, we always talk about grocery stores, but this is something that actually is going on right now, and it's germane to the conversation. Trader Joe's, in Trader Joe's, I took a photo which you can look at online. It's on the Facebook page right now. Took a photo, and the picture... I took two photos. One was a picture of a sign, and I, I'll, it's off of memory. I'll have to find the picture, but it said something about because of new California regulations... Now, oh, here it is. It says, due to recent California law, some of our eggs may be temporarily out of stock. And, of course, for effect, that was like a close-up of the sign. And then the next photo, I pulled back and took a picture of the egg case, and it's virtually empty. There's almost nothing there. So this bothered me. (laughs) I wondered what the hell was going on. And every grocery store over the course of the next few days that that I was in, um, this was the same case. And the egg price had gone from about, you know, two and a half to two seventy five for a dozen of large eggs. It's usually like two forty nine. Right. To four. Right, three ninety nine. And even above I've seen in other grocery stores. I've also seen, I think, eighteen eggs for five eighty. Uh that is ridiculous. So I looked into it. And this is not just a California problem. I mean, we do live here in 
beautiful, I say that with a snarky tone, but be, the beautiful Southern California. And this is an, an epidemic of egg prices, not just in California, although it does have to do with a California issue. I looked into it, and rather than me blather on, I'm going to allow NPR to explain it. Within just a few days, Thursday, in fact, all eggs sold in California must come from chickens who live in more spacious quarters. In fact, they'll get nearly twice as much room as what has been the standard. It's been a shock to the egg industry. As NPR's Dan Charles reports, shoppers are already seeing the impact. Ronald Fong, who's president of the California Grocers Association, says there are a few really basic rules for surviving in the grocery business. You have to have bread, milk, lettuce, you know, you have to have eggs. That's why right now, California's grocers are doing whatever it takes to get their hands on eggs that will be legal to sell in the new year. Eggs that are stamped with a new, almost incomprehensible label. The label reads something like CA. S-E-F-S compliant, which stands for California Shelled Egg Food Safety Compliant. That stamp means those eggs comply with a new regulation, the result of a voter initiative that 60% of Californians voted for in 2008. It was called Prop 2, and it said that eggs in California have to come from chickens that have enough room to fully extend their limbs and turn around freely. That was going to mean big changes because most egg-laying chickens cannot do that. They live in small cages, five or ten birds to a cage. State officials had to figure out how to translate Prop 2's requirement into regulations. California's state veterinarian, Annette Jones, turned to animal welfare experts at the University of California. We actually did hire some scientists at UC Davis to do a study for us to kind of give us their feel based on some field trials that they did of, you know, how much space Prop 2 meant. And they decided each chicken is legally entitled to at least 116 square inches of floor space. But that means as of January 1, most egg producers in the United States cannot sell eggs in California. Egg producers have responded in several ways. Some have tried to challenge the California rules in court. So far, that's failed. Jones says some egg producers have built new hen houses free-range houses where chickens can walk around on the floor, or houses with bigger so-called enriched cages with perches and enclosed places where chickens can lay their eggs. In general, poultry farmers are trying to move in that direction to provide you know, more space and the ability for their hens to exhibit more natural behaviors. But that takes time and costs a lot of money. Ronald Fong from the California Grocers Association says most egg producers so far have taken a simpler, cheaper route. The way that they are complying with the new standards is by reducing the flock size. They've kept their cages for now, but instead of eight birds to a cage, maybe they have four. Obviously, that means fewer chickens in each house and fewer eggs going off to supermarkets. People in the egg industry say this is one reason why the egg industry in California has gone into a sharp decline. According to government statistics, the number of egg-laying chickens in California has fallen by 23% over the past two years. In the rest of the country, though, egg production is expanding. And egg brokers who supply the California market have been ringing up egg producers all across the country, offering high prices for eggs that meet California's new rules. Ronald Fong says they're finding plenty of legal eggs. Retailers are telling us that it is going to be business as usual come January 1. But consumers will pay. We can confirm that egg prices have gone up at least 35 percent 
Some have reported going up as far as 70%. Actually, egg prices are soaring in lots of places, not just in California. People are just eating more eggs. Mexico is importing lots of eggs because of disease in chicken flocks there. With prices so high, more egg producers are going to be expanding production, building new hen houses. And because of California's law, those houses are more likely to give chickens more room to spread their wings. Dan Charles, NPR News. Wow, listen to that, huh? Maybe every single news thing we do, we should do it like NPR and have some fiddling old banjo. That was great. Cha-cha-cha. Wow. Were you just playing a little bit of it again? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, that was good. So here, there's several things that are going on here, and he didn't even talk about everything. Um why are you criticizing the news package that you just chose well, because to it, play? They very artfully <laughs> listen. Anytime a news package ends with a little banjo picking, it's going in the show. Okay, yeah. It's gonna get be included yeah. every single time. It has to. So anyway, here's some of the other things that he missed. One is well, they did mention that California voters did this. Right. To, to everyone. 60%. 60% prop two in, in 2008. I didn't live here in 2008, so I can't be blamed for this. The other thing he didn't mention is that it only covers shelled eggs. So if you go and get, you know, I can't believe it's not eggs or whatever, the, you know, the, <laughs> the eggs. Liquid eggs. Liquid eggs in a carton. Where the, for some reason, if you don't know how to crack an egg, they've already been cracked for right, you. That's the lazy. That's like the soap. That, that comes out already frothed into your hand. Right. That's lazy, lazy bullshit. Yeah. It makes me wonder if that kind of product is sold elsewhere. Just learn to crack an egg. But learn to froth your own soap but just move your hands around. It's part of washing your hands. Yeah, it's not good. If it's already frothed, then it you're, ugh, anyway, just lazy jerk-offs. So anyway, if you're one of those people that, that um, is buying... Like only egg yolks in a carton or only egg whites in a carton. <laughs> the face you just made was priceless. Anyway, if you're one of them, this really doesn't affect you because it only um, um, concerns shelled eggs in the shell, shelled eggs. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a couple things that they're going for the welfare of the chicken. They only require whatever he said the sixteen or however however much space, but what kind of quality of life is that if they're still caged? They're still. It's not like they're requiring them to be free range. It just seems intrusive. What kind of a tip topsy turvy world do we live in, where a gallon of gasoline costs more than a dozen eggs? Yeah, it's strange. I don't know. It all—it also seems like an arbitrary line that they've drawn. Yes, for sure. I mean, how do they know that this is the best amount of room they for mu- the chickens? They must have interviewed thousands of chickens. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? I mean? It must have been thousands of chickens that they interviewed. I know. How did they determine that, that <laughs> this is the best room for the chickens? Well, listen, it's the University of California system. Um, the UC system, they must know. They must be really, really smart at UC Davis. Well, I mean, apparently. Well, one thing they didn't take into mind, the voters of California and the legislators who are who are determining what the, the, the number is, they must not understand supply and demand. Because when you have 
you demand that cages be bigger, farmers aren't going to do all that right away. They're just going to reduce the number of their flock. Fewer chickens means fewer eggs. Coupled with a the same or a higher demand means higher prices. And part of the demand isn't just the fact that I like eggs more than I did yesterday. Part of it is the fast food industry right now. There's this craze of breakfasts. Of breakfasts. Wow. Um, Gross tum-time breakfasts. Right. Taco Bell is in the breakfast business now. They have like a Crunchwrap Supreme breakfast. Uh, all of those words. They just make me sick. Um, McDonald's is doing like an egg white sandwich to get on the health kick and, you know, to continue their their juggernaut-like dominance of the breakfast world. Well, you know what? I am going to stores that I don't normally go to where they still have eggs that are two forty nine a dozen. And when the price goes up, I will not be buying eggs. Are you talking about that particular gro- uh, grocery chain foreign-owned grocery chain that's getting ready to file bankruptcy, or they may have already sold to a, a buyer that's probably going to be liquidated and they're not, they won't be in business? Yes. Fresh and easy? Yes. <laughs> but, like I said, I will not pay. I will not pay three ninety nine for 12 eggs. No. I just will not do that. No, no matter how much I love delicious, runny Egg yolks. See, that's the thing. There's this egg craze. All over everything. There is, there is there is a restaurant in L.A. that's called Egg Slut. Yeah, I can't wait to go there. Yeah, I, well, of course, it'll be delicious. But the thing is, that there's... Listen, I guess it just comes down to there has to be a line drawn between the health and welfare of the chicken and how much it's inconveniencing the market. And look... It might sound heartless, but it's a chicken. It's a chicken. You better be careful. Whatever. What are all the chicken people going to write? Yeah. And call 657-464-7609. Send your emails to idoubtitatdollamore.com. Just don't throw any eggs. Because that would be wasteful because they're expensive. Yeah, well, I bet you eggings are down. Because of that. Mm, so yeah. it's a service they've done to the public. <laughs> California, there it's actually a, a law that implemented anti-bullying. It wasn't really anything about chickens. Mm. <laughs> right. Just did it on the sly. Right. Speaking of on the sly, look <sighs> at that. Bill Crosby, everybody. Gross. At it again with his Spanish fly. Wow, I didn't even think of the Spanish fly. I, I just meant like, oh, on the sly, on the fly. Man, I'm good. I'm good. I am on a roll today. Mm, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, uh, a young young lady by the name of Chloe Goins. <sighs> I've heard it pronounced Goins. Um, well, that's the other thing of this is she's accusing, and now they're tar- starting to level all these. Well, there was a, a soliciting a pl- prostitution a few years ago. I mean, clearly, she's troubled. Well, yeah, and that doesn't mean that she can't be raped. That's right. It doesn't mean that that the accusation is is uh, less than credible. Right. We, we don't know yet. Right. But um, this all came out today, and KTLA, the local Los Angeles uh, news station, was out there 
because she went to the police. Right, because it happened in 2008, and it's within the statute of limitations. Absolutely. So uh, here's KTLA to tell you all about it in a classic Los Angeles way. Another woman has come forward seeking to file charges against Bill Cosby for an alleged sexual assault at the Playboy Mansion. Good afternoon. This is the KTLA 5 News at 1. I'm Glenn Walker. And I'm Lou Parker. The alleged assault took place back in 2008. And like previous accusers, the woman claims Cosby drugged her beforehand. KTLA 5's Christina Pascucci live now outside of LAPD headquarters in downtown LA with more. Christina. Good afternoon to you both. Chloe Goins just walked out of here out of LAPD headquarters after spending two hours with detectives. She claims she was only 18 years old when this all went down. We have video to show you of her as she was coming out with her attorney by her side. She did not say a single word to reporters about the incident she claims happened six years ago at the Playboy Mansion. She gave detailed account, though, to detectives. She says it was at the Midsummer Night's Dream Party where she woke up from a drug state to see Bill Cosby licking her toes and doing other sexual acts. Her stories similar to that of the dozens of other women who have come forward, but unlike those women who claim to have been drugged and assaulted decades ago, Ms. Goins may be the only victim who's within the statute of limitations to take the sitcom legend to court. She was at the Playboy Mansion. She was drugged. She doesn't know what happened. She blacked out and woke up finding Mr. Cosby over her as she was in a state of complete undress at the time. Bill Cosby has not responded directly, though he's poked fun at some of his accusers during recent stand-up shows in Canada. His attorneys repeatedly called the accusations ridiculous, as has Felicia Rashad, Cosby's work wife. She says all these women his are facilitating wife. the obliteration <laughs> of a legacy. Chief Beck has said that if cases do come to LAPD, they will investigate thoroughly, though today LAPD could not comment specifically on this case. We hold uh, sexual assault reports and victims confidentially at the highest levels here in our department, so we wouldn't, able to, wouldn't be able to comment on that at all. And the big question here is a statute of limitations issue. Our legal expert, Brian Kabatek, says there are two statute of limitation issues in California. One is for people who were minors at the time of sexual assault. They have an extended period of time to come forward following the assault. But as for people who are 18 and older, typically they only have two years to report such an issue, though there is one major exception. If something prevented them from reporting the crime, then uh, you can come forward. There's a slew of issues and circumstances surrounding that and it gets quite complicated but that is something right now that legal experts and uh, police here are looking into that is the latest from downtown los angeles christina pascucci ktla 5 news i think the only thing missing from that news package is her going in time <laughs> no there there well there's a lot not missing i mean the bongos the drumming in the background just wow just that added extra little it was uh, like anticipation. Uh, so good. Yeah. So good. It was like it stressing was me out. Building this. Oh, what's going on? It's like a party over there. I also heard someone talking in the background about like breaking a camera or that, something. That was the lawyer. But here's the other thing. It's the statute of limitations. Oh, was she saying statue? It's not the statue limitations. Well, people talk fast. Yeah. Well, she's a broadcaster. Yes. Anyway. That's true. Um. So this young lady, this happened in 2008, so it's well within the statute of limitations, and 
she recently gave an interview to the Daily Mail prior to going and giving a statement to the LAPD. And this thing was a pain in the ass to find for you folks. So I hope you collectively are appreciative because in her own words, she kind of recounts the story. I first met Bill Cosby at the Playboy Mansion. Um, my girl had a couple tickets for one of the parties in the summer of 2008. And we were, um, we were quickly introduced to Hugh Hefner and Within a few minutes, Bill Cosby had walked up and he introduced him as his good friend. I noticed he did disappear for a second and walked up with a couple drinks for us. So I didn't even have a chance to really finish my drink and I just really quickly felt very dizzy and kind of sick to my stomach a little bit. And um, my, my girlfriend was, you know, actually he suggested maybe like going to lie down or whatever and helping me find a room. and. Um, Bill had offered to, you know, help show me to a room. So that's the last thing I kind of remember, him kind of walking me. And I remember waking up in a bed completely naked. Um, Bill was licking on my toes and kind of licking all over me. And I kind of just felt yeah. like on my breasts. And um, Stop. just wetness, like he had been, you know, all over my body. But Oh, my um, God kind of woke me up a little bit was he must have bit my toe or something which thank god he did because it woke me up he bit her toe um, once he noticed i kind of came to and was aware of what was going on he just pulled his pants up and left the room no explanation oh my god nothing (laughs) it's a really gross feeling a really embarrassing and gross feeling just disgusted and violated and when i first met him he seemed like a really nice, really nice guy. Um, so I didn't expect that at all. I feel very strongly coming forward about it now, knowing how many girls have been violated by him. And yes, I'm willing to go to the police with my allegations, and I hope they do investigate Bill Cosby, expose him for the man he is. So that's... Terrible. Ooh, it's just, it's hard to listen to. If all of that is true... It's well, it's similar to a couple of the stories that have come out of the now over 30 women that have come forward. So she's either 33 or 34. I mean, it's 30 something. Right. I think there was another story about something with sucking on toes or something. I think that's something he likes to do. Allegedly. Yeah. Allegedly. He is a dirty, filthy creeper. I mean, ugh. I'm just, I don't know. It really is upsetting. I just, it's gross. Well, it's just, here's the other thing is that I heard someone talking about this today where they said, you know, it's it's not like she knows about Bill Cosby. She was 18 at the time in 2008. He'd been off the air. The Cosby show had been off the air since the 80s. So she doesn't wake up and, you know, it's an, someone she knows, this famous man, it's... it's some just, old guy. Just some old 70-year-old man. Right. Sucking and biting on her toes. And she feels moisture and wetness on her breasts from, we can only hope it was saliva. You know, just just think about this. Because these these allegations have spanned decades. Yeah. And now it's over 30 women. and And if this is all true, I mean, think of the predator 
that is Bill Cosby. I mean, think of right. think of the kind of person that has to hand a girl a drink with drugs in it, knowing that it's going to make her unconscious. Take her up to this room and do that i mean that is someone who who needs to be taken off the streets right. i mean that's scary that's honestly terrifying you know w- w- recently we had a less than um exemplary a less than than glowing review on the podcast on itunes and it was his main complaint bill cosby was that we co- were covering bill cosby too much and and we weren't saying anything that he couldn't find in his wife's People magazine. Which was particularly insulting because please do not tell me that the things that I say could be found in a People magazine. Well, here's the thing. This is important. It's not important because he is Bill Cosby of the Cosby Show and he's a celebrity. It's important because he is possibly a serial rapist of who knows how many women. At least 33 accusers. And he's still accepted widely. Right. I mean, even though he's lost the Netflix show, he lost whatever shows and and people are turning their backs on him, uh, it's not the majority. When Tina Fey and Amy Poehler made the joke, there were, ooh, we don't know how to react to this, rather than, yes, please, please out this predator. Right. You know, and there's only one person I can think of that's been openly talking about it aggressively. Yeah. We're going to get to that. Uh, first, I, there's a couple clips I want to play of the lawyer. Very briefly, some of the things that he has said. You, you know, he he's using lawyer speak, and he I guess he just wants definitively on the record the media to have these particular buzzwords. She doesn't know what happened. She blacked out and woke up finding Mr. Cosby over her as she was in a state of complete undress at the time. The other thing that there, there's been a lot of questions of is why did she go and talk to Daily Mail before going to the police? And why did she not talk to someone in 2008? It's the same kind of questions. Well, one, that I don't think are illegitimate. I think that they're, they're valid questions to ask. Here are better questions. What is an 18-year-old doing drinking at the Playboy Mansion? Yeah. What's going on? Right. And how is that overlooked? Because that shit's going on, apparently, all the time. Right. Where Hugh Hefner's like, oh, why don't you go lay down in a bedroom? Right. Where Bill Cosby can do terrible things. Well, and we're going to get to the quote of the person we're talking about who says that this is no very well known. So if, if Hugh Hefner is such great buddies with Bill Cosby... He's part and parcel to this. But the lawyer explains... At the point in time when something like this happens to any young woman, they're embarrassed, they're ashamed about what occurred, and I think that I can adequately speak for Ms. Goins in saying that she wanted to put this behind her and hopefully forget it. And she talks about the fact that she didn't want this to... After it happened, she didn't want it to interfere with her modeling career that she was hoping she'd be able to get into right and she's a pretty gal i mean it's not out of the the realm of possibility that she could have been a model right and that's another thing that the person talks about that we can't talk about yet (laughs) well i don't know if we're building suspense or just trying to burn through these clips so (laughs) the police have told us that at this time they're going to conduct an investigation and that they're going to take miss goyne's statement and investigate everything she said and follow up on any leads that they have to verify exactly what she's told them today. The statute of limitations in California are what they are. 
whether the police decide with the state's attorney they're going to bring certain charges or not, it's going to be up to them. There are certain statutes that are certain length of time. It's up to them to decide what charges they want to bring or not bring. And let's just hope that they actually do a thorough investigation, whether it be look at the guest list, whether it be look at uh, security footage. I don't know what might all be there after this many years, but I hope they do a thorough job and not gloss over this like so many other celebrity types. I mean, how many chances did Lindsay Lohan get and how, how much time did she actually spend in jail? It's celebrities do get treated with kid gloves in Los Angeles. And I hope that's not the case because this man is potentially a very, very dangerous, I mean, an almost unprecedented rapist if all these allegations are true. And one of the things that the LAPD might be doing is going and looking at the the records of who was in attendance, who was on like guest lists. Right. But I, I can't imagine that the Playboy Mansion is like super on top of their bookkeeping and <laughs> records, right? Um, right. But but that would be great if if that were the case. Sure. So all all uh, suspense aside, Brittany was listening to uh, Mark Marin, and who was on? Judd Apatow. Right. Who I gained. A lot of respect for after listening to him talk. Right. So he had a lot of things to say. And, and he talked about that he believes these women. He believes all of these women. Right. And he is very open about the fact that he believes all of these women and that he believes it is uh, traumatizing for victims of survivors to come forward and have people deny their stories and say that it's, you know, that didn't happen to them and they must be lying yeah. and they're gold diggers. And he also said it sets a precedent for other women who have been sexually assaulted to not come forward because they see how these women are treated. They see the hell that these other ladies have been put through. Right. And like, I, I don't want to get put through that. Right. And he also talked about how Bill Cosby went after certain women. And like you had said, she didn't want to tell because she didn't want to mess up her modeling career. And Judd Apatow mentioned, you know, I these women don't want to come forward because, well, then they get labeled as trouble. Oh, well, that one's trouble. Right. She came forward with a sexual assault allegation. Don't give her a job because she's trouble. But he went further and talked about how this Bill Cosby thing has been known in the Hollywood community. Well, for, especially in the comic community. Right. In for the, decades. In the comedy community, he's known as a super skeevy bastard. I, well, the, the, the tone and what kind of the theme that Judd was conveying was that Bill Cosby is at the very least a skeezy, skeeve guy who cheats on his wife and is has kind of predatory behaviors at the very least he's that because he's he's seen that happen and at the very worst he's a a serial rapist right and this is a direct quote he says at the bill cosby show everyone knows this guy is up to no good they may not know he's raping people but they know he's certainly doing terrible things with women casting couches cheating on his wife Everyone on that show knows what's happening. It's not a secret. I've worked on television shows. Everyone knew that he was a terrible guy for decades and decades. It's not a secret in our industry. People keep saying, he he, he goes on to say, people keep saying, that's not the Bill I knew. Right. And he says, well, I'm sure the Bill Cosby you knew was awful in a different way. 
Meaning, well, maybe you didn't think he was capable of raping someone, but you certainly knew that he was predatory with women and he was married this whole time. Right. Then he goes on to say, this is a quote, I had a buddy who was working on a show and Bill Cosby was a guest star. And before he arrived, everyone was like, she needs to stay away from Cosby. Make sure he doesn't see her because his reputation preceded him for decades. And then he was often described as a guy on the hunt, you know, someone on the prowl. Yeah. What my mom might refer to as a puss hound, right? Right. No, I I think that's a common term. And so it's just, it's alarming. And then you have him on stage making jokes about it and people laughing and giving him standing ovations. So at the very least, these people are giving standing ovations to someone who is a liar and, and well, puts up this false facade of that he's sure. this great family man. Not even that. Let's Let's even take it back a notch from that. It's... People are giving a standing ovation to someone who is not taking rape and rape multiple tens of rape allegations seriously. He's making jokes about the fact that over 30 women are giving detailed accounts of him raping them. And if you don't drugging and raping them, if you don't know what the joke is that he made, a girl was getting up to go get a drink during his show. And he, you know, said, what are you, where are you going or whatever? And she said, I'm going to get a drink. And he said, oh, you better be careful not to drink that around me. And then everybody uproariously laughed. Yeah. Date rape drugs are so funny. Ugh, just it's 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 well, there is this weird thread that runs through Hollywood that you hear about where you've got certain directors that will do casting calls and they will hot young women. And in some case, ma- m- uh, male directors will have casting calls with young, sometimes underage boys and lead the, the, these individuals, these impressionable driven, wanting to be famous but beyond anything else. And the, I can give you this part, but you're going to have to do something for me and then take advantage of them. Yeah. It's sickening. It's it's sickening. In fact, there is a va- very famous director, um, male, gay, who is right now under large amounts of scrutiny for doing this to multiple underage, like teenage boys, promising them roles and you know statutory raping them. Yeah, it's very it's very disturbing. But and then you have Bill Cosby, who, you know, if again, if this is true, he's like a sociopath. I mean, yeah. going on stage and making jokes about it. Right. And and having all these people fooling all these people. I mean, if he is a rapist, that was so much satisfaction for him when he got all those laughs. Making a joke oh, about yeah. it. It's looking, and having one. Yeah, it's uh, it's disgusting. I mean, think about that. Yeah. Think about that. If he's guilty and he's a rapist, all those people laughing at him, giving him exactly what he wants. He's fooled them. They're, he, they're feeding this fuel. Right. Of his of manipulation yes. of his. I mean, it's disgusting. Well, if you want to listen to that interview, it's WTF with Mark Marin, one of the most popular podcasts in the world, and it's the Jeff Garland episode that just took place. It's like the first 20 minutes of the Jeff Garland episode, and it's good, very eye-opening, and, you know, I always associate Judd Apatow with, um, you know, silly Adam Sandler movies, but he's he's a stand-up guy, and it takes, in Hollywood, you know... Um, it takes balls to stand up against guys like Bill Cosby. It's a weird world where a guy can rape or allegedly rape 33 women or more and no one will say anything because they're scared of the power that he wields. Right. Fuck that. 
that's not the world in which we live. That's certainly not the world in which we should live. We, we live in a world of justice and laws, and he should be held to, to account. His feet should be held to the fire, and I don't care how old he is, he needs to serve the maximum allowed sentence if convicted of this particular crime. And I think it's only 48 months, but, well, at his age, that could be the rest of his life. You know, you know the other thing, and we've talked about the Spanish fly thing before, um, not just at the the, the, the the top of the segment, but um, he had a bit in a 1969 comedy act where he talked about Spanish fly. Well, I was doing some digging, and in 1991, he was on Larry King Live on CNN, and he brought it up again. Spanish fly was the thing that all boys uh, at from age 11 on up to death <laughs> we will still be searching for spanish fly right. and 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 what was the old the old story was if you, you took a little pin. drop no, it was on the head of a pin, pin. That's right. Drop and you it put in it in a drink. Cola. Don't Cut. matter. It doesn't make it and the girl would drink it and she's sure. hello america <laughs> hello america are you are you kidding me well, the thing is, I don't think that Spanish fly uh, makes you unconscious. I just think it, it's uh, something that has an effect on your sexual ex- uh, desire. And it's still very creepy to hear him talking. You put it in her Coke and here we go. And it's what? No. Right. Stop talking like that. Well, he just he's excited about it. It's you could tell that the prospect of putting something in someone's drink and having them do something they wouldn't do if they were in their right mind. That's coercion. That's that's what rape is. I just don't even know what to do. It, it's amazing to me. I'm just thankful that, that Judd Apatow, who is rich, successful, powerful, he has a voice in, in the Hollywood community. And he's using it. Yeah, and I'm thankful that he's speaking out. And I hope that more people do because... I still see so much negativity surrounding the women that are coming out. Right. And it's really it's really upsetting. Yeah, it's a bummer. Sorry I'm so bummed out about this. No, <laughs> I just it, don't know how else well, to be. That's exactly right. What else would you be? Happy, giddy, excited? Oh, it's so great. You know, well. Uh, I just feel bad for everybody. It's terrible. So another terrible thing, or at least in my opinion, it's terrible. The media still continues to censor themselves relative to showing the cartoons of Charlie Hebdo. Um, Sky News, which is, I guess, the Fox News sister station over there in England. Sky News refused to show the front page. They were doing an interview with the French gal. And in the middle of it, while she's chastising uh, the British media... For what? They're not showing any of it. Right, they're not showing it, but she's she's chastising them. And then goes to reach up, and she lifts up a copy of the magazine on screen. The latest issue? Uh, the latest issue, that's right. And the ca- the cameraman, we're going to put this on the on the Facebook page, but the cameraman wigs out, and he doesn't know what to do, and he just kind of aims the camera up toward the sky in the room. So, the, like, the top of the magazine. And that's alarming enough. What bothers me about the clip is... After that, the anchor goes out of her goddamn way to apologize to the audience in case they were offended by the mere flashing of the cover. Much 
offend, offending to kill in the name of a religion than to answer to a killing by very sweet drawings who put Mohammed outside this crime. So I'm very sad, very sad, that journalists in UK do not support us, that journalists in UK betray what journalism is about by thinking that people cannot be grown enough to decide if a drawing is offending or not, because you're not even showing it. It's this, which is completely crazy, that in UK you cannot show a simple drawing as she, that. She's left it up. With Mohammed at Sky News, we've chosen not to show that cover, so we would appreciate Caroline uh, not showing that. I do apologise uh, for any of our viewers who may have been offended by that. As you know, here in Sky News, we've taken the editorial decision not to feature the cover of Charlie Hebdo. And, and there's this awkward silence that continued until the next segment, but they were frantic. They cut away. They cut her mic. It was uh, like she had flashed her breasts or there was a, a, a full frontal nudity or something. And if you don't know what the cover looks like, they've drawn Muhammad again, and he's holding a sign that, that has the, the French phrase, I am Charlie. Yeah. And uh, in French above him, it says, all is forgiven. And, and, and there's a tear. There's a tear from coming from Muhammad's eye. Yeah. So... They, Which, they drew him again. And they're going balls out. The, the, the magazine typically has about a 30,000 um, circulation number. And they printed 3 million copies, which I'm desperately trying to get my hands on a copy. And all 3 million were sold out before the sun came up that morning, Wednesday morning in Paris. Right. Only 300 copies have been allotted for the United States. 1,500 for Canada. Now... They're aware that there's a high demand, and one, selling more copies will bolster their coffers and put them back on track to be in, you know, solidly in business, but they plan to print a million at a time until the demand has been met. So hopefully we can get one. Hopefully so. And if someone knows someone that can get one... That's right. You know where to find us. That's right. And you know... We reached out to some people, and it might still happen, but it's kind of a friend of a friend in both cases who's going to get, try to get. But Brittany reached out to someone. It was someone I know that travels a lot, so I asked if they had a friend in Paris, and they do. And I asked if they could, you know, put me in touch. And it was kind of weird at that point because he w he w like told me to go ahead and message her, and then he said, wait, don't. And then he right. he added us into a group message and asked her, introduced us and said, you know, I was looking to get a copy of it. And, you know, she's she Brittany is my friend and, and she is interested in the free speech issue, kind of like explained why I was wanting one. And this woman that lives in Paris responded and said that not French, by the way, that she that she was going to try to get it, but that it would probably be very difficult for her. So um, I don't know why she responded at all. But then she decided to send a second message and said, oh, and also I just wanted to add that I think it's really morbid to want this newest issue. Which I find unbelievable that someone would think that it's morbid. Well, apparently millions of people are morbid well, because yeah, millions of people want the issue. I, I, I don't do it out of reasons of morbidity. I do it for out of reasons of 
celebrating free speech. I want to support this magazine. I would like a copy of it as as a as a, a celebration of the triumph of the human spirit over the the wild radical fundamentalism of 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 the Islamist philosophy. Well, the other reason it's not morbid is because the the individual who was able to continue illustrating it, although I know they have many staff members, but sure. the main one in particular, he was late to work that day. Right. And that's why he's still alive. He was on the list. And it, it was because he it was his birthday and he was late to work that he didn't die. And he drew the cover. And right. he said it was important to do this or else everything means nothing. So we need to support him. We need to That's support right. them. And it's not morbid. It's it's showing support. That's it. That that is it. That that's it. That's all it is. But everyone can applaud my my self control because I did not say anything back to that. Not in the group thread. You didn't say anything in the group thread thread. I, on the other hand, I heard a few things. <laughs> yeah. That's true. <laughs> There were some people that heard some things, but it wasn't the French woman. Brittany, if you don't know, is not a shrinking violet. <laughs> Brittany is not the kind of person who is a wilting wallflower. She is uh, she is assertive. <laughs> she has opinions. Mm -hmm. And um, if you happen to be in the room at the, at the right time, she'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. Is that an apt description of, of mm -hmm. the Brittany that I know? The perfect, yeah. Okay. And if you insult me, that's fine. Right. <laughs> it's perfectly fine. <laughs> Everything will be great. Yeah. So back on to the censorship thing. Um, a conversation was had on Rook Baldwin's show on CNN with Brian Stelter and the famed... Um, lauded, almost worshipped, venerated a journalist Carl Bernstein from the the famed pair Woodward and Bernstein, who broke the uh, the the Watergate scandal wide open and wrote the book All the President's Men. They had a conversation about it where, um, well, I tell you what, here it is. Do you think news organizations should be showing these cartoons? Let me start by saying I think this is one of the most difficult questions there is to answer, and there's no definitive yes or no answer to it that's huh. necessarily right. Uh, but I do believe that we should be showing the image at this point after the fact. Why? Uh, as a matter of intellectual honesty, solidarity, uh, and that freedom of expression and freedom of religion, freedom to practice religion, they're all based on the same bedrock principle, and I think we need to assert it. And at the same time, I think that focusing on the American and the European media right now, we need to focus on the Islamic media. I think this is a real problem. The whole question of Islamic terror is a huge question for the Islamic media. They haven't responded. They haven't been courageous for years, and it's time for them to take a look at their actions. I'm much more interested in them. Uh, what's happened in Paris is a huge problem, indicative of what the Islamic world faces today, and, and we need to be looking at that, and they need to be coming up with some solutions. Solutions, uh, And some condemnation, and action in the capitals of the Islamic and Arab world, uh, presidents of the countries with huge Islamic populations, working with the United States, working with other governments in Europe to fight terrorism as a fundamental practice of their governance. 
we had an entire segment of experts would agree with you absolutely. But that's interesting. That's the first time I've heard about Islamic media. Right. <laughs> Mr. And Stelter. Al Jazeera, by the way, has chosen to do the same thing CNN's done, which is to not, not show, show the those images of Muhammad. Walk us through. I mean, let's just be a tad transparent in terms of our own decision making. It's safety and it's also part of policy. I mean, this is incredibly insensitive religious material. Yeah, and it's not an entirely new issue. I mean, CNN has decided right. in the past, years ago, not to show other images uh, that would be considered sacrilegious by many Muslims, that would be offensive to many Muslims, cartoons uh, from, from Denmark a number of years ago. I want to agree with what Carl's saying, and, and every journalistic bone in our bodies, I think, does. But then there's the other side of it, which is the editor or the executive who decides to run these images and then has an act of violence occur against a staff member. Well, that's, that's, that's really why this is so because difficult. Because there comes a point when we have to be courageous. And this is the point where we need some solidarity. We need to be courageous. I agree totally. You shouldn't show these images that are blasphemous to another people before an event like this so has you're happened. Saying because but it's as, happened. as a response, mm. just like the case with Sony, as I, you know, and I'm one who said to Sony on our <laughs> air that the, the Sony movie was a horror. Uh, in conception, uh, there was no need to show what it showed, mm -hmm. and at the same time, uh, the craven behavior of the studios, of Sony early on, mm -hmm. the whole industry, that there had to be solidarity, and we all, including CNN, including Time Warner, had to show that movie. Mm -hmm. And I think the same principle obtains here, but at the here. same time, I'm well aware how hard this decision is and that you can have a reasonable opinion on the but other what side. About, the what issue about, about safety? safety. Uh, let me, let well, me explain this The issue about safety is people. what the head of our network, Jeff Zucker, brought up this morning. I mean, and we've heard it's this before. And we've, we've had, well, this yeah. has come up in other, other instances in the past and stories that we're covering because unlike some of these other blogs that don't have bureaus in the Middle East and don't have correspondents in these hot areas of, of, of you know, um, where, where wars are going being right. waged, right. Um, we do. That's why we I do. talked about yeah. solidarity, because I think that if our industry, if our intellectual fervor mm -hmm. and firmament were to be united on this question, mm -hmm. then I think we gain some safety and we can act courageously. You're describing safety as, in numbers. Exactly, mm -hmm. as, a, as a movement of solidarity. Uh, yesterday, I, you know, I was one of the first, I guess, to sign the pen uh, petition uh, saying that, that we as writers and artists uh, believe that, that this material must uh, be shown. And indeed, as, as has been said, we are all Charlie Hebdo. In, in this in this situation, and yet, even even though I mean but, there's safety, but there's also the issue of offense. I mean, it does create great I, offense. I, that is I the understand. other piece of this that I've, I've heard. I agree, yeah. and and somehow we need to explain that this is not intended as offense. Right. It is intended as news and as what we believe in, so that you can practice right. your religion. A few points. One, I know that was a little long, but it's important. And I think the conversation being had by such such stalwarts of journalism like Carl Bernstein um, was necessary, especially for the fact that he agrees with me <laughs> for the most part. But the, the other thing is Brian, Brian uh, Stelter, he brings up that, well, you know, Al Jazeera, just like CNN, they chose not to air the, air the cartoons either. Well... Let's be straight about who, who Al Jazeera is. Al Jazeera is a Qatari-owned co company. It, it is owned by the government of Qatar. 
which is a, a an Islamic nation. So it's not a surprise that a company that's based and owned by Qatar is not going to show images of the blessed Prophet Muhammad. Well, when did Al Jazeera become the gold standard for what other... I have no idea. Well, Al Jazeera is not doing that. Well, right. Al Jazeera is doing that. Right, right. I don't know. It's bizarre to me. Because they are... It's like saying, oh, well, you know, RT. RT. That's, that's a media company owned by the Russian state. They're not credible. They have an agenda. They're, they're, everything that they potentially report, there's a conflict of interest relative to the, the Russian government. It's the same thing with, with Al Jazeera. But the other point that Bernstein makes that I think is great is that after the attack, the, the news world, the media world, has no choice but to show these images in the spirit of telling the whole story that happened. Because if you don't show the images, you're not telling the whole story. You're not informing the public. You're tiptoeing and walking on eggshells and not doing your job. And they can claim, you know, security and all this, but you're in the news business. When news happens, you report it. If, 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 if there was some Muslim or Islamic or Christian or Jewish edict that you weren't allowed to show pictures of fire because it reminded people of hell would you stop reporting on 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 arson would you stop reporting on buildings burning that it's, it's ridiculous also it's a cartoon <laughs> and again Brittany comes in with with rock solid logic it's a cartoon it's like excuse me we can't show dilbert on the air <laughs> okay it's really offensive garfield please Get that off the screen. There are some cartoons I could live without. Like which ones? Family Circus. Not a fan. <laughs> okay. Not a fan. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. I'm not a big... Marmaduke. Let's just say Marmaduke. Archie. Fuck isn't that, that one? Fuck that guy. Archie. Archie. Yeah. Archie Comics. Right. Yeah. Archie's okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't. I don't understand I, how you select what's I, good and bad. I had those books, those those rectangular, long rectangular books as a kid mm -hmm. with with the Garfield cartoons in them, and I was never a fan of Odie. I don't know who Odie is. Is Odie, that the dog? Odie's the dog. Is Odie right? Is did you know Odie? that I have no, I have no knowledge of any of that, and I guessed it was a dog. Well, you know. I think I'm super hyper intelligent well, because of that. Really, you think <laughs> you think that Gar it's Garfield who lives in the house? It could be a fish. You, you thought it was like like a like a giraffe or something. It could be his his goldfish friend. There may have been a goldfish friend. Oh, really? I have no idea, okay. but it could be. Anyway, Garfield experts, please weigh in. So let's 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 read a little a little pew 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 a little pew research. That's just not playing. The, the pews play, but not the way that it's delivered. Why is no one not? Why is no one delivering me a wonderful transitional segment stinger? I bet people really enjoy it. It's just they're not saying anything about it or creating <laughs> anything for you. Well, six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine, or you can obviously record yourself on your smartphone and email it to I doubted at dollamore.com. But Pew Research did um, what they do and what they do best about 
global what the 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 global religious landscape Right, and the most interesting thing I think they found is that nearly three-quarters of the world's people live in countries in which their religious group makes up the majority of the population. Weird. What a coincidence. 73%. And yeah. so this is something that Richard Dawkins has famously talked about um, in a response to an audience question where someone asked him, what if he's wrong? Right. And he often talks about how he was born in in an area where there's primarily Christians. Right. But if he had been born in Afghanistan, he would have been a Muslim. If he would have been born in India, Probably he would be a Hindu. A, yeah. And so it has so much to do with just where you're born and your circumstances of your geographic location. It, it's weird to me, and this is something I've thought about for a long, long time. I mean, having been an atheist... But how lucky I was when I was a Christian. I th how lucky am I? I used to think this, but that would be the end of it. I wouldn't think through it. That how lucky am I that I was born in America, God's chosen nation, and I'm a Christian. Oh, I'm so lucky. <laughs> why didn't I not? Why did I not think past that? Through the tough part into. Wow, you know, this doesn't really make sense because most of Afghanistan is Muslim. Most of Uzbekistan is Muslim. All of Saudi Arabia is Muslim. You know, it's it, it, Italy. It's 99% Catholic. Weird. That's that's really weird. It's geographically it's geographically based, but no one thinks past that. Right. So Pew found overwhelmingly that Hindus and Christians tend to live in countries where they are the majority. Fully 97% of all Hindus live in the world's three Hindu majority countries, India, Mauritius, and Nepal. Wow. And nearly 9 in 10 Christians, 87%, are found in the world's 157 Christian majority countries. <laughs> By smaller margins, most Muslims, 73%, and religiously unaffiliated people, 71%, also live in countries in which they are the predominant religious group. Now, again, Pew Research defines right. unaffiliated as atheist agnostic and then also just not identifying with a religious group. Right. But they have found that many people that identify as unaffiliated have a belief in God. Right. So... It's kind of when you hear unaffiliated, most of the time you think atheist or agnostic. Don't think that here because that's not the case, because m most of these people are answering. They believe in God. Yeah. So bizarre. Well, it's also it's a problem we've talked about relative to Pew. Pew, pew. And their that, that, that particular deal that they do with the unaffiliated marker. Right. So the most likely to be living as a minority are the Jews at 59 percent mm -hmm. and Buddhists at 72 percent. And then they also have folk religionists at 99 percent. What is that like uh, being a Druid or Mother Earth, Gaia, that kind of stuff? Yep. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you had this awesome look on your face. Of panic and relief, but not real relief. Kind of like when you poop and 
it's good that you pooped, but you know there's more to come and it's not good. One okay. of those looks. I found it. I found it. It, oh, it, wow. it includes followers of African traditional religions, Chinese folk religions, Native American religions, and Australian Aboriginal religions. So it's kind of a catch-all. It's the general it's the the folk religions, the other stuff, right? Those and, uh, those other guys. And just for for um, clarity, I, I do want to address the number of people for the religious affiliated population that say they believe in God. All right. Okay, uh, <laughs> you did the drum roll and everything, <laughs> which is going to make this really upsetting. Um. <laughs> I'm so stressed out right now. Okay. Should I do it again? No, or no. It'll just be really anti Yeah, it's going to be really bad. Okay, stop. Um, so, it is a... It's making me stutter. No. <laughs> okay, listen. So... I'm listening. They only break it down like... Okay, they say 7% of Chinese unaffiliated adults say that they believe in God. 30% of French unaffiliated adults say they believe in God. 68% of unaffiliated U.S. adults say they believe in God. So, so it's not atheist agnostic at all. When you have a figure like 68% of the unaffiliated right. U.S. adults, I mean, that's pretty significant. So almost 70% of unaffiliated Americans believe in God. So don't... It's absolutely not. We need to email somebody. Get somebody on and explain that to us. Yeah, it's it's very I confusing. Want my own, I want my own category. <laughs> I want my own category. Well, in fact, don't even lump me in with those goddamn agnostics either. Well, I was just going to say... I want to be my own guy. I was going to say you can lump them in with the agnostics because at least that is someone who wouldn't answer yes to I, the God I'm, question. Of course, I'm teasing. I'm well, I, I know you're teasing. I'm just, I'm bringing it back in for the realism here. <laughs> well, thank you for that. Yeah, sorry we, about we, that. We do strive for realism here on the show. We do. Yeah, I thought it was going to give like a global figure yeah, yeah. for some we'll reason. Just add but... it all up. We could probably do that. You have statistical programs at I'm your disposal. That. Why would you not want to do that? You have R. Just write the code. <laughs> plug in the numbers. Yeah, I'll get right on that. <laughs> She looked away, by the way. She's still looking away. Just, wow. That is hatred. Why are you looking at the rundown board with such hatred? Proceed, sir. <laughs> proceed. All right, listen. If you as an audience member would like to proceed to supporting the show other than listening twice a week, you can go to dollamore.com and up in the top right-hand corner, there's a link that says support the show. Inside of that link, there's an Amazon search bar where you can buy books, you can buy food processors, you can buy wine glasses. I'm not just looking around the room. There's no food processors in here. You could also buy books. Michael Shermer has a new book coming out. It's called The Moral Arc. And I, for one, am going to be buying the shit out of that book. And then probably reading the shit out of that book. Because it's not going to be a coaster, everybody. So do that. Dollamore.com. There's a search bar there for Amazon. Use it. It goes a long way. Your purchase goes a long way towards supporting your favorite twice-weekly podcast filled with news. News. 
and ridiculous comment. There's also a link to patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore, where if you have, you know, a little bit of change from week to week, you'd like to to, do, to donate a, a quarter an episode or 50 cents an episode or $10,000 an episode, we wouldn't mind. You choose the amount per episode and a monthly maximum so you don't go over your budget. Yeah. We know that I Doubt It With Dollmore listeners are very budget conscious, so we, we took that into consideration for you guys. Well, it's not that they're just budget conscious. They're, they're frugal and responsible. Mm-hmm. That's it. They're yep. responsible. Yep. They so sure are. Right now, we have about five patrons, and let, let me tell you something. We appreciate them very, very much. Right. Um, it's, it's remarkable that we can do something like this. And people are willing to give hard-earned money um, as a result of, of what we're creating here. And I am, we talk about it every single day. And that's not even being facetious or hyperbolic. We talk about it every day. It's something that uh, means an immense amount to both of us. So thank you. Dollamocracy 2016. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Mike Huckabee is at it again. Can you believe that? At it again. And this time he's not quitting Fox News again. (laughs) He is, just as you had to listen just now to us, send out sponsored messages relative to uh, hitting you up for money, whether it be Amazon or Patreon.com. He's doing it using the vehicle of his fundraising mechanism and his uh, his campaign. Right. He sent out an email. It says, a special message from Health Sciences Institute. They have an important information to share with you. Sponsorships like this help to allow us to continue to send you... I think his hillbilly brother wrote it or something. As always, I appreciate your support, Mike Huckabee. Dear reader... I'd love to see an atheist try to explain this. (laughs) It's a video about a recent discovery made by biblical researchers in Maryland. While investigating a certain New Testament passage, they found something. I thought this was about some cure for cancer. Yeah, that's you just need to look at the Bible closely is what's happening here. Wait, wait, wait. Are you kidding me? I mean, are you kidding that it's this is the cancer thing with the. The Bible. Yes. Didn't you read it? No. Yeah. Wow. I don't think I'm going to edit that out. <laughs> that is amazing. That That is amazing to me. So continue. Proceed, as you would say. While investigating a certain New Testament passage, they found something they never expected. A mysterious healing message within ancient scripture. It appears to contain a secret for defeating one of our worst diseases. And the science behind it has been verified by one of America's top doctors. (laughs) Dr. Oz? Watch it here. (laughs) You may never look at the Bible the same way again. To Healing Miracles, Brian Chambers, publisher, Health Revelations. P.S. This is America, and people are free to believe whatever they want. But I've yet to hear an atheist offer a real explanation for the healing message revealed in this video. What you've just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. 
Sorry, I, that had to be in there. That had to be. So the link in the email goes to a website, and it says, Did our creator encode a cancer cure on the 859th page of an ancient Bible? Wow. And it says, Oncologists stunned. Untreatable late-stage cancer disappears. Zero painful side effects. Uh, parenthetically, studied by independent researchers from leading medical centers and university scientists. And can I ask a question? Apparently, the Bible cures cancer. Why? Why would an omnipotent being that is able to encode a message on the eight hundred and fifty ninth page of an ancient scroll? Why would that ancient or why would that all powerful omniscient being not just not create cancer in the first place? That seems like kind of an easier path. Rather than provide a cure, why not just not have the disease exist? You know, logic doesn't help you here. <laughs> and by the way, just so everybody knows, Mike Huckabee, everybody, potential president of the United States, who, even if he does need sponsorship to send these kind of emails out, you, there's a responsibility to pick and choose who you're going to use. Am I right? So this link comes from healthrevelations.net. So just another link to not trust. We'll add it to the list with Mother Jones and all the others. So up next, we'll get off of that because that's, I probably won't sleep tonight thinking about that. That's wacky. Um, Stanford Research did an, a study of adolescent sex or perceptions of sex, I guess. A new study of high school behavior finds that young people wildly overestimate the sex and drug life of their own classmates and even their own cliques. Teenagers grossly overestimate the amount of substance abuse of potheads and the sex life of jocks, said Jeff Cohen, a co-author and professor at Stanford University. We knew there were stereotypes, but we were surprised by the level of caricature. That's not surprising to me at all because... Well, you would think that people who went on to be scientists who were probably nerd turds in high school would would believe this too. But I listen, I wasn't uh I wasn't super nerdy guy or anything, but I I really thought that I was behind the curve relative to my sexual activity um or my entrance into sexual activities in high school. I mean, I lost my virginity at 17. And I was barely 17 years old, and I thought that I was years behind my peers. Right. In this study, high schoolers assumed that jocks and popular kids drink more alcohol and had more sex than average students, but jocks and popular teens' self-reported sexual behavior wasn't significantly different from the brains or the others. Those are talking in, so, in click terms. So they broke it down. The misconceptions didn't always skew toward deviant behavior either. Smart kids reported studying only about half as much as their classmates assumed. People thought the popular kids had lots of friends and the brains had no friends, but it turns out that everybody had about the same number of friends. Huh. Very interesting. Well, it's also, it kind of just goes to point out that in in high school, in, in, in school, I guess, junior high, high school, that there these clicks, you are really separated and segregated from one another, so much so that you don't know what the other group does or how they act or with whom they associate. 
I think if I would have been given this this survey to take in high school, I would have just given it back and said I don't care about what anyone's doing. <laughs> I laugh because I can see you doing that. I mean, I can see you crumpling it and doing the old Kareem skyhook into the trash can. I'd just be like, really? You want me to guess? what? I don't care what other people are doing. Like, <laughs> I went to one party in high school my senior year. It was my first house party or whatever. Yeah. And I spent two minutes inside the house. I'm like, I'm leaving. I'm not staying here. Everyone's acting all crazy, breaking stuff. Why, why would I do this? Right. No. I don't care what they're doing. Yeah. I, I never went to party. I mean, I didn't drink in high school at all. I didn't drink alcohol until... I was 18. I graduated high school. In fact, I didn't really start drinking like on a regular basis until I joined uh, the Marine Corps. Jesse was a Marine, everybody. <laughs> yes, I was. And when I joined the military, it was legal to drink on base beer and wine. You could drink on base at 18 years old. Hmm. And they changed the law. You couldn't drink liquor, but you could drink beer. Nice. And <laughs> it was nice at times. Yeah, it was mm-hmm. nice. <laughs> I didn't drink until I was 21. Yeah, that's true. You were legal eagle. You did it right. Mm-hmm. Nice little lady. Nice little lady. So we're going to wrap it up with this. And Brittany and I, we're conflicted on, well, she's conflicted about whether we should do it. I think it's really, really funny. It's only because I have to read lyrics to a penis and vagina song. So in Sweden, for all of our Scandinavian and Northern European listeners... <laughs> You gotta you you gotta sound off and let us know what the fuck is this about? What's going on with this? Um, please either email us or, or or record yourself on your smartphone and email it to I doubt it at dollamore.com. Please. I wanna know about this. There's a children's channel that has put together a video. That is singing about and featuring a dancing and frolicking penis, cartoon penis, and cartoon vagina. And the the penis looks just like a penis you would see drawn on a bathroom stall in high school, for right. instance. Yeah, it's it's like uh it's like the a, a graffiti penis. And the vagina, mm, it's kind of confusing. It looks like a hot dog bun. It, it kind of looks like a hot dog bun. I guess maybe some vaginas look like a hot dog bun. It looks kind of like a kind of like the the if you turn a pe- a peach a certain way. No? Yeah, I mean the I'm hesitant to use this word. <laughs> I don't know what other word to use. The slit on it. Oh, wow. There is kind of a, an indentation. Yeah, indentation is probably better. <laughs> Well, I tell you what, here's the song while we talk about it. I was going to talk about the indentation. Oh, okay. So, so, so tell me more about the slit. <laughs> no. I'm sorry, indentation. I, 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 tell me more about the indentation. It just, it's, it just doesn't look like a vagina. Don't get frustrated. It doesn't, don't get, don't get frustrated. It doesn't look like a vagina. Well, I don't think the penis looks like a penis. Okay, but it's drawn more like a penis. Well, like, is a drawn. Gra- like a graffiti penis. Maybe that's what a graffiti vagina looks like. Okay, well, and you just don't see enough graffiti vaginas. Well, here's the other thing. Neither of them look like a penis and vagina because they both have microphones and the penis has a top hat. Listen, my... And they both have eyes. Yeah, well, 
I don't know about you and your vagina, but let me tell you, my my penis has a top hat and a microphone. He's fancy and he's an MC. And he works the weekends. He does weddings, bar mitzvahs. Hmm. Yeah. Real cool. Kind of catchy, is it not? So this is a kids show with cartoon penis, cartoon vagina, dancing around while they sing about grandma vaginas and elegant should i just turn it off well no one knows what they're saying (laughs) well i love you everybody knows that so what are the words i i plugged it into google translate to kind of get a flavor for what is being talked about and obviously because of the language barrier (laughs) um there's not a one-to-one translation. It doesn't just roll right over. So, go ahead, Brittany. You wanna you wanna read that? I'll uh, follow along in case you get you get stuck. Mm-hmm. Poppy dip pop snippety penis. Mm, okay, got ya. Here comes his dick in full gallop. <laughs> uh, children's video, everybody. He who has no pants, dangling dick and ass bar. Mm-hmm. Yep. Snippy dip dip snippity do. Snippy snip dip snippity do. Snippin' is impetuous. Yes, it can you believe. It can you believe. Even on an old lady, snippin' sitting there so elegant. And by the way, at this point in the translation, I think I've understood that snippin' S N I P P A N uh translates to vagina. So different with almost the same thing. PP through the penis or snippin' if you're a girl. Or snippin' if you're a girl. Willie and snippin', what a lovely bunch. Snippin' and Willie sing our chorus. Willie and snippin', available on our body. <laughs> Snippy, dip, dip, snippity, prick. Wow. Poppy, dip, op, snippity, prick. Hangin' throw in a little body. Snippy, dip, dip, snippity, do, Snippin is impetuous. <laughs> and then I love you, baby, or whatever at the end. Mm-hmm. So apparently a lot of parents aren't happy about this. And there's been some very. Uh, why? <laughs> why are they so unhappy? Well, it's just dangling an ass bar. I don't understand what's. <laughs> there's nothing wrong here. So I'm going to post a link to the Swedish newspaper. I'm assuming. it's Yeah, it's a newspaper. Um a link to the Swedish newspaper. So it's in Swedish. What you need to do is go on Google Chrome and just have the, the website just or the, the, the browser just translated automatically for you. So you can you can read the comments and stuff. But parents aren't happy. And it makes you wonder. I hope that there's a follow up on this to find out what in the fiddling fuck hole they were thinking when they produced this and put this on TV for kids. 
You know what it looks like? It kind of looks like a like a like an almond with kind of a cut in it. Mm-hmm. Or an, an elongated bean is kind of what it looks like. Yeah, they're the, both the snipping. They're both cute, cute creatures. Oh, it does have a, a like a bowler, like a top hat on. Yeah, it has a top hat, and they both are holding microphones because they're singing the song. Yeah, look at the eyelashes on that snipping. Yeah, those are long eyelashes, and the bags under the eye. It's, are those bags? Yeah. All right. Well, we're gonna put that up on the website so you can check it out and let us know what you think about uh, snippity doodah, snippity snod. Or whatever. So with that, we are going to let you go. Until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been yet another episode of I Doubt It. Cha cha cha.